This is the Patriots Catch-22 Podcast with Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. I'm Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Hello, everybody. Nailed it. Joined, as always, by our Barth. That's a bit. That's a match. No risk it, no risk it. 22. Here is Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. What's your dumb number one? So I'll go five to one. Safety, corner, wide receiver, tackle. Number one is punter. Because, no, I'm kidding. You're about to shut my mic off. You're about to shut my mic off. I walked out. No. I was like, how can we mute him right now? Are you sure it's not punter? Uh, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Still time. Still a not lot yet. of off-season left. Well, we're not going to talk about punters today because we got some big Patriots news to talk about. And I'm going to call this an emergency podcast. It was it, This was not necessarily planned ahead of time. But the news yesterday breaking that Bill O'Brien is back as a Patriots offensive coordinator. He's been in the building. That's just you know, what I've heard and what we've been told. What that the Shrine Bulls told us. That he's uh, he's in the building. He's been in the building since Monday, and Bill O'Brien is back in New England. Evan Lazar, Alex Barr's Patriots Catch-22 coming to you on a Wednesday. It's also weird. We don't yeah. usually do Wednesday. Just last week, we gave that whole spiel about, hey, we're in this time we'll slot this now. Thursday. This is what it's going to be. Yeah, and then, of course, tomorrow, uh, along with Bill O'Brien, as it turns out, thank you, Shrine Bowl, I was wondering if he was going to make the trip with us. Alex and I will be making the trip to Las Vegas for the Shrine Bowl, and I... I'm really fascinated to see the prospects out there. We're going to we're going to do a little Shrine Bowl preview at the end after we we're done talking about Billy O. Uh, but I'm also really fascinated I, I think more so maybe at this point in the prospects just cuz we're so early in the draft circuit is the dynamics of the coaching staff, how this all works out. So Bill Belichick, Gerard Mayo, and Bill O'Brien are in these supervisor roles, these overseer roles. The actual coaching is going to be done by the assistants. Troy Brown is the head coach of the West team at the Shrine Bowl that the Patriots are representing. Ross Douglas, a hot coaching name right now, honestly, a guy that's rising through the ranks here in New England. Uh, He's going to be the offensive coordinator. He's going to coach quarterbacks. And then Mike Pellegrino and Brian Belichick, the secondary coaches, if you will, the safety and right. cornerback coaches for the Patriots are going to split uh, the defense and, and be co-defensive coordinators. But as much as that's cool, and I'm glad for those guys that they get some exposure and get their name out there, I think what's really going to be very interesting to me is can we see, and I hope we will be able to see, how much evaluation Bill O'Brien and Gerard Mayo are doing alongside Bill Belichick, Mac Rowe in the front office. Like, is Bill O'Brien going to have Bill Belichick's ear when it comes to talent evaluation? I, you right. know, I look at these guys that, uh, you know, I, I'm sure you're going to do a prospects preview of 10 guys to watch at the Shrine Bowl. Already did, and it's like 20 something. It's probably 5,000. No, it's, no, it's, 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 it's like 5,000 like, words. It's, it's like 50. It's a Bible. I get it. I, hey, man, it, it, covering the draft is a numbers game. It is. It, you just got to cast a wide net and, yeah. and hope that you hit, especially with this team. But maybe they get to the Shrine Bowl, and I know everybody's darling around here is Zay Flowers. The Patriots will coach Zay Flowers yep. at the Shrine Bowl. And one of the big things that I— Specifically, I, Vinny Sonseri, right, is the wide receivers coach? Yeah, Vinny's yeah. The, the wide receivers coach. Obviously, Troy Brown will be there as the head coach. Ross Douglas will be there as the coordinator who coached wide receivers as an assistant to Troy Brown last year. So all hands on deck in terms of offensive evaluation, offensive minds for the Patriots, besides Nick Cayley, which we can get to here in a little bit as well. But as we, as we get into Bill O'Brien and the hire— I think the two bigger picture takeaways that I came away 
from this with is the biggest one I, I think is probably that we're finally going to get remember a month ago and we went on that whole rant about how you can't evaluate Mac Jones in this offense because it's such right. a mess we're finally going to get a functional professional NFL offense for Mac Jones similar to his rookie year but now he's not a rookie anymore right and we're going to get to see him in this environment and in my opinion actually make an evaluation of what they have at quarterback is this always going to be a guy that you can pull to a victory and pull to a playoff appearance but not necessarily going to pull you along the way or is this someone that can elevate his game and get to that next level and uh, we see on the tv behind you joe burrow like somebody like that that can really get to that type of quarterback and i think the Patriots still have a lot of work to do personnel-wise, which we'll talk about ad nauseum for the next six months or whatever it is. But in general, from a sophistication standpoint, just an overall logistical cleanliness execution standpoint, yeah, it, he should have enough now with, with Billy back in the building to be a functional NFL quarterback again like he was in his rookie season. So now we got to see it from Mac. I do think there's some pressure that this puts on Mac Jones to perform now. You don't have the excuse of having Matt Patricia and Joe Judge running the offense anymore. You have a real offensive coordinator with real chops on that side of the ball coaching you now. Let's see what he's got. I'm I'm really – I'm excited. I'm excited to see if Billy can get Mac Jones to that next level. Is there another level for him to hit? And is O'Brien the guy that gets it out of him? And even if Mac can't get there, now the next guy's coming into a functional system. Right? And you get when that you answer. I think that visit, an- you get that answer. You have to have and that answer. Either Mac Jones gets rolling, or if not, you know, the next guy comes in with a real offensive coordinator and a guy who's worked with quarterbacks, young quarterbacks at a high level before. Did it with Deshaun Watson in Houston. Got him rolling, obviously, early in his career. So, yeah, he was the right guy for the job, period. And and the quarterback element of it is a big reason why that's the case. Yeah, I I look at all the quarterbacks, really, that that O'Brien, and and I understand that people don't necessarily want to throw Brady because he's Brady and he was going to be good with anybody, and especially with the weapons that O'Brien was coaching him with, Gronk and Hernandez and Welker, and, I mean, they were loaded on offense. With that being... Did he overlap with Moss? I think Moss's last year, 09, would have been Billy O'Brien's first year. Well, I think he was the wide receivers coach in 08. Might have been. We have to look that up. But, yeah, I, I think he he was around for sure. He's there from 2007 to 2011. He was the wide receivers coach in 08, offensive assistant in 07. Right, so he was definitely here with Moss. Yeah. Um, I, I think that you just look at some of the the things stylistically that I, I really like watching his Alabama film. I also went back, and there's some really good – I posted one of them on Twitter. There's some really good coaching clinics out there of Bill O'Brien breaking down some of his core concepts and some of his – or staple plays, whatever you want to talk about. I think people forget the differences between Josh McDaniels and Bill O'Brien because although I think that fundamentally they believe in a lot of the same things, I think that there's a lot of schematic differences on how they get there. And O'Brien is not necessarily known for being a heavy under center coach. Like they're not going to put Mac Jones under center 50% of the time with O'Brien back. I'm not saying they'll never put him under center, but that's not 
the under center with the power eye with you know Jakob Johnson or James Devlin in the back like that's Josh McDaniels's offense. Th- right. This offense is much more uh, spread, gun, um, tempo, uh, quick strike, get the football out of the quarterback's hands, hunt matchups, that type of thing. And I think it on the one hand, I'm really excited for Mac Jones for that to be the case because the big thing is they're going to get back to an offense with O'Brien where the most important thing is the middle of the field. And I felt like last year, especially with the way that they designed this, this, the vertical elements of their offense uh, under Matt Patricia, too much of their offense was either targeting the deep part of the field or targeting outside the numbers. Right. And they're putting Mac in the gun, they're running verticals, and they're just asking him to hunt a matchup, make a throw down the field, uh, handle pressure, just kind of figure it out, right? I mean, a lot of the times they're just kind of having him uh, sit there in the pocket, and there's a lot of talking about how does how do they block things with their protection scheme and their system and changing in the protection scheme. There was just a lot of instances where it felt like Mac Jones was being asked to create something make something happen out of the shotgun when in reality uh, the quarterbacks that do that at a high level Mahomes Allen Herbert they're from a they're a different skill set right like that's a different type of quarterback than what you have so I think the the great thing about what O'Brien likes to do is that his spread is more about the middle of the field it's more about a quick you know it short and intermediate passing game than it is about a deep passing game and most importantly, I'd say baby as well, they're just going to get back to Max mind being a big thing for him. Not the biggest thing. Not asking him to physically be Josh Allen or Joe Burrow or, or one of these uh, you know freak quarterbacks, but allowing him to win between the ears where right. this is the matchup, this is the coverage shell, this is where I'm going, this is where my eyes should be, get the ball out and let the playmakers do the – do their jobs that I think is really a, a great thing for the Patriots from a stylistic perspective that I thought this year uh, or last year I guess now uh, they got away from a little bit too much well you talk about the short and intermediate and I wrote about this on 98.5thesportshub.com this morning and Evan it's something we've talked about at length on this show last year they were third in the league in explosive plays but their yards per play on those non-explosive plays ranked 27th and it was 29th yeah going into that Bills game they need to be better. It can't just be boom or bust because right. the boom's not big enough. So what they need to do just to improving on last year is either the small plays need to be more consistent or the big plays need to be bigger. And making the big plays bigger is an impossible task. That's basically what the Bills tried to do against Cincinnati. Right. When the big plays weren't hitting, they were like, we're going to try bigger, and they couldn't do it. They need to be able to move the ball like last year, they were either picking up 30 yards or nothing. They need to be able to move the ball five yards at a time, six yards at a time. Mac Jones coming out of college in his rookie year, he is at his most dangerous when he is throwing to that intermediate part of the field. Between the numbers, outside, you know, to the sidelines, whatever. He is at his best when he's throwing to the intermediate part of the field. That was not a part of their offense this year, really at all. They need to go back to attacking that intermediate part of the field because when you do that, it opens up the run game. 
because teams can't come up on the line of scrimmage. And it also maybe opens up some deep shots later in the game because you basically force teams to pack the middle. So they can't they can't put as many assets up front. They can't put as many assets deep. And then you can really start to sort of toy with them. That was the Brady offense. Yeah. Was attack the intermediate until they take it away. And then you just have your pick. They right. need to get back. I, I know you said short and intermediate, and the short game is a part of it. But for me, it's they have good intermediate receivers. Kendrick Bourne, Hunter Henry, Jacoby, if he comes back. Jacoby's probably their best intermediate receiver, but he's a free agent. They have a quarterback who loves throwing to the intermediate. They now have an OC who is excellent in the intermediate. That 8-12 to 12 yard range, that is where they should have been living last year. That is where they're going to need to live this year, and I think O'Brien's a guy that's going to make that happen. Yeah, if you look at the 2011 Patriots offense, which I think is the blueprint here originally. Sure. I, now we're going to get into two, which I think is what makes this higher, over, puts it over the top for me, and why I've always been number one Bill O'Brien, is O'Brien over the last couple of years, but specifically obviously in Bama, has taken – the 2011 Patriots offense, and he's now modernized it to the college game today, right? So now you have the 2011 Patriots with an early down RPO package, essentially, right? It, it's more complicated than that, but just simple terms. That That's what he has developed at Alabama over the last two years, which I think is just such a great fit for not only the quarterback, but I would also mention some of the players that they currently have on the roster. Like now all of a sudden, when I'm looking at some of these plays that he ran at Bama last year, a guy like Johnny Smith is, is sort of a, an, a, a plus piece. There's a spot for him. You yeah. can like see how they're right. going to they use him. They had that, that fullback slash tight end. Uh, I, I had, you know, his name 45 on, on Alabama. Oh, I'm, uh, he's an underclassman. Yeah. yeah. Not, not Cameron Latu who we'll get to. Cameron Latu is Hunter Henry. Right? Hunter Henry, yeah. Right, and, and so they had these two tight ends. One of them was more of like a fullback, H-back type of tight end, and one of them was Latu, who's like more of an in-line Y tight end. And they both had really good tape at Bama because of Bill O'Brien. Now, the fullback was more blocking, obviously, and, and doing different things like that. But in general, those Robbie Oots. Robbie Oots. So the point is, is that it, you see how the two tight ends can be. Well, so hang on that. Let, let me, because I saw some people and people in the chat were wondering if we look at it during the show. I do. Yeah. Uh, is the fullback coming back with this? Or is it going to be that hybrid? No, Johnny Smith I think it's, okay. yeah, I think it's a hybrid role. Um, and I, I think that you look at the, the guy at Alabama. Oots. You, Oots. You look at the way that they. By the way, he's not draft eligible this year. I'll just throw that out there. Yeah. Latu is, he's not. The look at some of the way that they would package together the tight ends in Houston and then obviously go back to 2010-2011 with the Patriots. It's more of like a versatile fullback role. Yeah. It's kind of like Kyle Juszczyk. Juszczyk. I was about yeah. to say it's that Juszczyk right. role. Or it, um, uh, slightly different, but Ricard in Baltimore. Yeah, Ricard, yeah. Ricard, you know, kind of lines up off the line, but in line. It's more under center, yeah. But. Yeah, I, I think that there's going to be some some different things there that they can do with the tight ends. But just to wrap it up on Mac and, and why it, where where we're going here uh, in terms of the offensive system and things like that. Uh, O'Brien loves empty. Uh, he loves to empty the backfield yeah. and, and go five wide. Uh, that's a, a big part of his offense. But So in that sense, like I think Pierre Strong is a guy who could really be involved. Yeah. Obviously, we know Ramondre can catch the ball maybe in the draft, and we don't have to go there right now because it's yeah. going to be a whole thing. But yeah. he had no. a certain running back no. that, that knows Stop how to catch it. the ball. Stop it. But You've already annoyed me enough. Pass catching running backs back. Okay, so we are getting into that at some point. 
a lot of a lot of what O'Brien does out of empty, which I, I, I think is so successful for him, is he has answers for every type of coverage and just allows the quarterback to read it out, right? right? So if you take the running back, if Ramondre Stevenson's out wide and empty and they match it with a linebacker, well, then it's probably man-to-man coverage. If the corner stays out there, it's probably zone. Now you kind of get that coverage indicator. Then you get into the middle of the field and he has middle of the field open, middle of the field closed, you know, split safety, post safety. He has options there for the quarterback. And one of the best routes that he really just – spammed at Nazem obviously with Wes Welker and also Hernandez to a degree as well is that juke series from the number three spot and when they got those split safety coverages they know that they're going to get Welker isolated on the middle linebacker on the Mike linebacker in those types of structures and Brady would just I mean they would just dice him up with that right I mean it was just crazy so that's where I think when we talk about personnel that I in I think there's a couple of the other things that I mentioned about O'Brien. I'm sure you as well. But when we get into personnel, I think the one thing that's really standing out to me of if we're really going to make the Billy O'Brien offense work for the Patriots, it's that slot receiver, right? Yeah. And he talked about it in one of the videos that he did uh, that I was mentioning earlier on the coaching clinic. The number three spot in Haas Juke, right? The Juke right. route, the, the option route in the middle, Edelman, Welker. Um, I think they they ran that with James White a couple of times too, didn't I'm they? Sh- I'm sure. Uh, they ran a lot of it, so they would run Haas on the outside, and then James White run the option route out of the backfield. Out of the backfield, yeah. Instead of true empty. But regardless, he mentioned multiple times that your quickest player has to be in that spot. Yeah. And he's mentioned quick, not fast. So are we quick. doing this? Are we doing? I'm not I, doing it fully. I don't want to. I, I feel like I do this spiel too much. He mentioned quick. Not fast. Let's just okay. If you Tyquan don't know, Tyquan Thornton is fast in football terms. Fast is straight line speed. That's Tyquan right. Thornton. He's very fast. Right. Quick is Julian like, Edelman. Change how how much you can change direction. Right. Like how quickly you can change direction. How quick you get in and out of those cuts. Accelerating in and out of those cuts. Uh, operating in a phone booth. How well yeah. you can move in a short space. That's quickness. Right. That's not be. Some guys are fast, not quick. Some guys are quick, not fast. I mean, it's a no to example. Like Tyreek Hill would be a guy who's both, right? Right. Quick and fast. There aren't a ton of guys who are both quick and fast. Right. So a lot of his offense, not just the Juke series, but uh, he loves to run bunches, motion into bunch, and then run that three-man bunch route. Yeah. A lot of those routes, though, are just about attacking leverage and finding matchups right all over the field. And that quick jitterbug receiver that gets open i mean a guy in 2021 who's not even in really an nfl player slade bolden put up numbers hey, all right, be nice to slay bolden but you know what my point is yeah, is yeah. That, that guy that type of guy uh, can really thrive Quick, so not fast if i could go down the hall right now and be a fly on the wall to these conversations yeah. that bill belichick and bill o'brien are having about the offensive personnel which i'm sure are going on i'm fascinated to see what O'Brien thinks of Jacoby Myers. Okay. And does O'Brien believe that Jacoby Myers can be his Wes Welker now? Right? Like, it, right. does he believe that Jacoby is that type of guy? Jacoby's quick. I, I don't think he's as quick as those guys were. And I don't think he gets open off the line of scrimmage as quickly as those guys did. The point that I'm to connect it all, honestly, is a guy like Zay Flowers at the Shrine Bowl this week that they're going to get a first-hand look at on their team at the Shrine Bowl, played down the street at Boston College. 
he's a guy that's a jitterbug, right? Like he's that a quick guy that can get open in a short, tight space and really like he would be great for that role. Right. Does O'Brien go to the Shrine Bowl with the Patriots this weekend and fall in love with Zay Flowers and be like, that's that's the type of guy that I need to make this offense go? Or is it Jackson Smith and Jigba? Or is it any of the other, you know, Josh Downs? Like, name, Tank Dell. Tank Dell. Like, name any of the million of them that are in the draft. It's a great draft for that kind of player. I'm getting great to the draft. point uh, with this, especially with this hire, where it kind of feels like paying Jacoby Myers $13, $14 million to – sort of be that guy but maybe not be what they really need that guy to do it might not be the best course of action and we haven't even gotten into the yards after catch element of it as well where a guy like zay flowers can can turn a five yard juke route into a 11 12 13 14 yard gain like edelman and welker used to do so i I, that's going to be important i think for this offense is that they bill o'brien's offense is at its best when they're attacking the middle of the field the quarterback is at its best when he's attacking the middle of the field they gotta get i think they need to make sure that they have that spot figured out middle of the field receiver a middle of the field receiver i don't think with his offense and you look at that 2011 patriots offense i mean who was on the outside like was it brandon lloyd no i don't i mean they lined up gronk a lot on the boundary well yeah but but like the actual receivers that were supposed to be. I think they brought Deion Branch back, right? He had a second stint yeah, with the Patriots. I don't had, know if that was 2012 or 2011. Yeah, it was Branch. So the final roster receivers were Branch, Edelman, Wes Welker, Chad Ochocinco, Matthew Slater. So I'm was, trying to. They had somebody else earlier in the year who got hurt. I'm trying to find it, but well, they traded Moss and went in 2011. No, didn't they trade him in 2010? No, they went to the 2010 playoffs and lost to the Jets and. The divisional round with Moss on the team. Tra- okay, so it was Randy Moss and then Dion Branch. That team did not care about the outside receiver. Now, when he went to Houston, he had DeAndre Hopkins, and he right. cared a little bit more. I'm not saying he can't build the offense through the outside receiver, but I'm just wondering if that's what's best for the quarterback and maybe getting back to that middle-of-the-field offense is really what's best for everyone, and you already have the two tight ends in-house to get some of that stuff going. So a couple things. Moss was off the team in 2010. It was Branch on the outside, and they ran Tyquan Underwood out there at the end of the year. And he only had three catches that year. He's pretty much just a decoy. Let me bring up this name then, because you're talking about the draft for that role. But, all right, so your your best receiver needs to be in the slot, but you want a guy who you can put outside when you need to. Evan, you're describing Jerry Judy. Yeah, he's a good fit too. Like that, to yeah. me, so this all tells me that Jerry Judy is like, if they're going to go out and get the veteran. Yeah. We're not talking Hawkins anymore. Like, Judy is the guy. Yeah. Is, is kind of what it sounds like you're saying. And I wouldn't disagree. I'm fine with that. But, yeah, th- those are the, the couple of things that I've All right, I've well, done. let me ask you this then. Okay. Second round pick. Yeah. Draft Zay Flowers or trade it for Jerry Judy? I'd probably trade it for Jerry Judy. I'm with you. I would. I'm with you. Go get the guy who's proven he can do I, it. I don't know if that's enough. If Jerry Judy is truly on the open market and he becomes available – do they trade him for the 45th pick in the draft? I, I, I well, okay, and call it and something, you know. Yeah, but I think, he, I, I think there is a big and something. A.J. Brown went for what, like the 20th, 19th, 19th 20th pick? 18th pick, something like All right, that. so Jerry Judy's not A.J. Brown. Right. Do you call it? And it was just a first, nothing else. Yeah. Does like a second and a future third, a second and – they do have so, two thirds, well, actually. They so, could do a second and a third. What's also fascinating, not to get down the Jerry Judy rabbit hole. No, I want to do this. What's also fascinating is that 
it's essentially the same trade that they made for Brandon Cooks, right? Because Brandon Cooks had that fifth-year option. Right. Yeah, you're right. And he, yeah. they traded for him in year four, and then they traded him on the fifth-year option for the first for the 23rd overall pick, which right. was eventually Isaiah Wynn. But it's two years of team control if you trade for Jerry Judy this offseason, assuming that that fifth-year option gets picked up, which right. I assume it would. So it's that is the Brandon Cooks trade. Now, they traded their first-round pick for Brandon I don't Cooks. think they need to give up the first-round pick to get... Maybe, like... Well, the Broncos don't have a first. I was going to say, maybe trade down in the first, like swap firsts. That's the other thing. The Broncos right. are desperate for picks. Yeah. So they might take a second and a third over, like, a late first. Because they, at a certain point, just... They need players. Yeah. So... They, they need they need a lot. I And, look, he put up 1,000 yards and 1,000. I'm rounding up. It was, like, 980-something. He he put up a thousand yards in that offense last year. I know people have said well he's not as proven as a guy like Hopkins or a guy like Mike Evans. But he's younger. He's he has room to grow and he's proven enough. I I I, I look I, at what I'm he did last season. It was on impressive. Hopkins at this point, it's yeah, I'm kind of over that one. Uh, it's something against DeAndre Hopkins. I just don't really have much interest in a 31 year old receiver. Yeah, and I don't know about the relationship between him and O'Brien at this I, point. That's and, that's a fair, that's you know me. I don't really care about that kind of stuff. But yeah, more so than anything, I. I want to see them get that 25, 26 year old hitting the second contract receiver. Well, Judy, more so than Judy than came out young. Jerry Judy's, I think, twenty three. That that that's more ideal to me. Jerry Judy will be a twenty. Will will turn twenty four during OTAs next year. All right. So that I think is a a decent breakdown of the the staples of the O'Brien offense, right? Going back a decade, yeah. right? That he is, you know, Hosjuk. Like that's his offense, right? Bunches, uh, switch releases, like all all those different types of things to attack the middle of the field. Tight ends, right? Nub formations, two tight end sets. Like that's that's what he does. The other element of this, which we talked about a lot when we talked about candidates and why we liked Bill O'Brien so much for this job, is the Alabama angle. And looking at what Alabama did over the last two years, really modernizing the old Patriots Bill O'Brien offense. And I don't want to call it the old Patriots offense because I, I still think that Bill O'Brien's was it three years as the actual OC, right? Cause yeah. McDaniels left in, in 08. I, I still think that those three years were a little bit different than the McDaniels years. Well, I do. Here's what's important to remember. Bill O'Brien didn't run his offense at Alabama. When they hired him to replace Steve Sarkeesian in the spring of 2021, the the idea from Saban was you're gonna run this offense we've been running with Sark. And that's where Mac Jones comes in. Yeah. Mac Jones is the one who taught it to him that spring while he was getting ready for the so draft. I, so I think it's even based off of what I, I saw on film, yeah. I, I think Bill O'Brien put his spit on it. it oh, more, of course he did. More than it than maybe that. But the question is how much of what they were doing is are truly thing and this isn't like a knock. This is a legitimate question that we're gonna find out. Yeah. How much of what they were doing does O'Brien truly believe in and wants to bring with him? And how much was he running because Saban wanted him to run it? Yeah, that's a fair question. I think from a passing game standpoint, like take the RPOs and all the all that stuff out of it and just think about a traditional drop back pass from the gun. That was all O'Brien. Like that was all the O'Brien offense. Sarkeesian's offense from the gun was much more air raid. You know, throw the football down the field because they had those receivers, right? They had, you know, um, 
Waddle and Devontae Smith yeah. and Mechie. Like, so they, they were – Mac was airing it out at Alabama in 2020. If you watch that film, he's throwing deep balls left and right at Alabama in No, but his arm sucks, Evan. So that's a different – I think when they ran, especially last year with Bryce Young, was much more like Bill O'Brien-centric. Now yeah. – the Alabama fying or Alabama fication. Alabama fication. Uh, whatever you want to call it. I want to call it Alabama fication. Okay. Alabama fication of the Patriots offense. What I what I'm really hoping and expecting is that that early down RPO package that they dipped their toe in last year, but let's face it, it was it was a horrible it was horrible. You're talking about they here? Here. Yeah. Patriots. They will now get the PhD version of the RPO package that Bill O'Brien can bring from Alabama, which is maybe one of the best RPO packages in any level of football. You had the number. You texted me this. They didn't run, like, the the number of, like, truly designed runs without a pass option attached was, like, very low last year. At Alabama? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to get to the run game because I think that that's an important part of this. That's Of course. To me, the run game is the big unknown right now with Bill O'Brien. But I'll, maybe that's where Adrian Clem comes in. I get Ooh. to that in a second. The RPO package on early downs, I think, is going to go from basically inside zone bubble, right, where you run an inside zone uh, in the middle of the field and the bubble screen attached to it on the outside. Now you get RPOs with slants. Now you get RPOs with motion, right? Guys coming right. in motion and running off those those actions. Now you get seams from the tight ends off RPO. Where did you say slants? Yes. Okay. Slants is the biggest one. That's the big that's my favorite RPO personally. So yeah. I want to see. Well that, that that one is that's Alabama's staple, right? Especially Wonder why it's my favorite. I would say the the X slant, right? The yeah. backside slant. Yeah. So because you run these inside zone or even if you want want to run a gap scheme, the linebackers have to come up and press up, right? Right. And when they press up, you just, just hit the slant right, right behind him. right by his ear hole. Right. So those are the types of plays that Alabama is known for and that they could bring here that Mac thrived with in 2020 in their RPO package. Uh, I love the way that they motion guys at Alabama as well. They ran a ton of motion screens where the receiver kind of comes in motion first and then you throw it to him while he's running while he's already on the move and that allows him to build up that momentum so much so instead of throwing the ball out on a screen to a stationary wide receiver now you're having the receiver roll into it right where he's he's got a head of steam as he's coming up the field so those are the types of things i think will they'll pull from alabama and be able to run here and last year their rpo package was was statistically terrible talking about the patriots yeah they were negative epa off rpo they were negative air yards per attempt off rpo because all they were throwing were screens right so that rpo package that they ran last year uh to put it politely was rudimentary like it was basic as basic as it comes when it comes to that type of thing so i think bill o'brien will be able to to bring that to the 21st century if you will and modernize it to the point where it's actually going to be an effective tool for the patriots so you'll have a little bit of that 2011 patriot offense will probably be 90 percent of what they're about to do next year and then the other 10 percent will be stealing some of this stuff from alabama so all right i i know you don't want to do this but i'm gonna bring it up oh boy a lot of those concepts you're talking about 
were geared around the running back. Like, Jameer Gibbs led the team in catches. He led the team in carries. Why are we doing this? I'm not doing it to... I'm, I'm, I'm not going where you think I'm going. The point okay. just being like, is that... It, it felt like they did that out of necessity. Kind of like the Patriots did with Ramondre Stevenson. You know, they lost... Right. They, uh, they lost Mechie, Jameson Williams, and Slade Bolton of the draft. Aggie Hall transfers to Texas. All they had left was Jermaine Burton, who transferred in this year from Georgia... And then a bunch of underclassmen who'd really never played. And Corey Brooks had played a little bit. Right. Is th- So that's my other question. It's like, is this going to be another year of running the running? And, and Jameer Gibbs was the best player on their offense. It made a ton of reasons. I mean, outside of Bryce Young, obviously. It made a ton of sense. There were reasons to give him the football as much as they did. But now the question is, is that... Like, I hope O'Brien doesn't come in with that. Stevenson should still be a big part of the offense. He's really good, but you can't run the guy in the ground again. You got to get the wide receivers involved. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think and, so. And even, even sorry to tag on to that. You talk about the importance of the slot. Well, what did they do late in the year? Jameer uh, uh, Gibbs is out there lining up in the slot yeah. late in the year as the slot receiver. Like it was just wherever the ball is going, whatever position we're going to put that guy there. Right. I, I don't think so. I think though, and I, I'm hoping that the, it can be the same guy, but. To me, what they they need, and I know I'm going to say this, and people are going to say, "Oh, can Taekwon do that?" Like maybe, uh, but they they need that guy that uh, the ball carrier, right? Like they need a dynamic ball carrier that when they run a, a three step slant off an RPO, that guy is taking it right to the house. A guy that when they run those swing screens with the motion off the RPO and they flip it out, and because they have the numbers on the screen, they need somebody that's going to take that screen and actually produce an explosive play out of it that maybe not so much this past year at Alabama but the 2021 Crimson Tide and the 2020 Crimson Tide they had that guy right 2021 it was Jamison yeah. Williams 2020 it was Devonte Smith and Waddle like they had those explosive well receivers. so here's my thing like 2021 versus 2022 right it's different even though it's still Bill O'Brien the offense is a little different it's kind of just piecing together all right, what changes did they make because the offense was evolving going into 2022 versus what changes did they make simply because they had to make them around the person? Right, so again, I think that that, that guy, just like Waddle or, or yeah. Jamison Williams was for them, I think it could be the same guy, right? Like I think you could put a guy like, you know, just to use another draft example since we already used Zay yeah. Flowers, like I think you can put a guy like Jordan Addison yeah. in the slot and then I think you can also put him in motion and run him on RPOs as well, right? right. Like, I think it can be the same guy, which is a benefit to the Patriots. It's not like they have to go out and get two different guys. Uh, but that role, I think, is extremely important if they're going to try to do it this way. Like, if they're going to try to be a vintage O'Brien combined with Alabama, like, they are going to have to find that player somewhere. And that, I love him, but that's not Jacoby Myers. Right. Right. And I know that maybe some people will hear that and think it could be Kendrick Bourne. Like maybe I think it could be, but I still would want that guy to be shiftier than Kendrick Bourne yeah. in the slot. I, I Kendrick Bourne to me is like just he's a matchup guy. Yeah. I think he can do everything. I think he can play the X. I think he can play slot, you know. Just have him available to pick on matchups. That yeah. they did that with him last year, talking about twenty twenty one. They did that with him in twenty twenty one. I thought that like his assignments from week to week always changed. And they just kind of put him in spots to succeed, and they'd figure out the guy they wanted to pick on, and they picked on him. That, to me, is the best use of Kendrick Bourne because he's so versatile. You have to take advantage of that. 
find the burner in the slot. Right. Like that, I'm I'm with you on that one. Whether you said Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison, you know I'm a big Tank Dell guy. I think yeah. you might be a bigger Tank Dell guy than me. I'd I like to beg Dell. you to watch him. But I had some people that I talked to some people about Tank Dell, and he's like 160 pounds. Yeah, but that's one of those things where, like, you get him in an Tank NFL. Tank Dell's from Houston, for people that, that don't know. He's Houston's slot receiver. He also took over for Marcus Jones on returns at yeah. Houston, so he's got some explosive. Marcus there. Jones was only, like, 170 when he came in. He's up to 180, I know, now. but— You get these guys—the weight thing, add whatever it says— Add fifteen pounds because you get him in an NFL weight room. I, I just I don't even bigger. think it's just the frame. The frame. I think uh, the other thing that stood out from Houston, it, they were very particular of where they aligned him up, and they kind of had to um, cater the offense to his alignment, right? Making yeah. sure that he could get off the line of scrimmage and avoid certain. Well, we're situations. talking about a guy you're gonna. You're not putting him outside to play press man if you draft yeah. him, right? So sure. you're. I you know I'm I'm third or fourth round. I'm okay. In. I'm yeah. In. Uh, I just. I think that that's a really important position in this offense, regardless of where Bill O'Brien has really been. Uh, it's been a point that they've emphasized besides maybe Houston because of Hopkins, right? right. But other than there, I think everywhere else he's gone, uh, the slot has been a high volume role, just like it's been here for two decades. So I think it's an important spot. Well, hang on. I I need a stall to pull this up, but I think... I mean, you go back to when he was at Penn State, which was 2012 and 2013. Maybe his best work. Wasn't that Allen Robinson? Allen Robinson might have been on those teams, yeah. Like, they weren't... I'm I'm trying to remember who the slot receiver was there. And Allen Robinson was a slot. I mean, he's a big slot. Were they running him out of the slot there? I'm sure. I mean, that's what Allen Robinson did in the pros. He had 77 catches. Nobody else had more than 36. That was in 2012, I'm sure he was playing the big slot. Yeah, okay. All right, last thing, and then we can take some of these calls. The other thing that was super refreshing from watching some of my old O'Brien uh, coaching clinic yep. cut-ups and things like that was listening to him talk about protections. And I don't, I'm don't. i going to nerd out here for a second on protections, but it, it's kind of hard to talk about it without, like, I need, like, a whiteboard or something yeah. really to, to get into it. But they run a lot of empty, right? Or Bill O'Brien yeah. likes to run a lot of empty. And he would talk about how he gave Brady – protection answers to cover zero at an empty or just man blitz at an empty in general because if you're an empty you have to have like you have to know that the defense might try to overload you right Right. and you have to have answers to that so what the patriots would do most of the time is they would put guys on dual reads which means that usually it's it's inside out read right and they'll say okay you know you, you got Three, you know, there's three blockers and there's four guys standing over you. So one guy's dual, right? So you right. got two guys, and if they are, if it's three rushing, we're three on three to right. that side. We should pick this up, okay? So then what he would would, would say would be, you know, Brady would point and he he'd make a mic point and then he'd point and he'd say, if that guy comes then I'm hot, right? right? Like, you know, if four come, now I'm hot. If one comes from this direction, I'm hot. If two come from that direction, I'm hot. And that would not only tell the offensive line who they were supposed to be blocking, the receivers would also be aware right. of what the what the call is, right, from a defensive perspective. This was something that the Patriots last year looked like they had no clue what they were doing when it came to protections, was not just – we're four over three, how are we picking this up? But also, 
who's hot and which receiver is adjusting his route in case right. there is pressure coming. These are the little things that just didn't seem to get through to the Patriots. Well, I don't think they completely ignored it because I have too much respect for NFL coaches to think that they just ha- didn't even talk about it right. in the meeting rooms and things like that, but they just didn't execute it on the field. And it wasn't just free runners and like we didn't pick up you know the protection properly it was also that the receivers weren't aware of okay if this guy comes now we're hot we're not we don't have enough blockers to pick everybody up that's what i mean by hot so we have to throw the ball and so mac jones is standing there in the pocket they they bring four to to their three he's hot and he's got three vertical routes going up the field and he's just like looking around you know he's he's toast he's sitting duck how many times did that happen on third down this year just so i'll i'll editorialize that just for everybody for everybody else because you went into what so hot receiver or the quarterback being hot or throwing hot refers to just the quarterback being exceptionally attractive no um <laughs> so basically what that means Jimmy what that means is if there's a blitz coming that you know you can't block like evan's talking about the numbers there right four on three uh three on two there's a receiver who has an assignment that if the quarterback calls that out that that blitz is coming he scraps whatever his route is and basically just turns and looks for the football. Right. Because the ball's coming out immediately to beat the blitz. Normally, you're throwing into the blitz. Like, I would say the hot receiver is normally designed to throw into the blitz. Yes. Um, that's what that means. And it is something the Patriots struggled with. And this is something I've talked about. You know, these are nuances that you pick up being in offensive game plan meetings, offensive rooms, all of that for years and years and years. This is why when we talk about, you know, Matt Patricia wasn't the guy for the job. This is why, because that's not something as a defensive coach you're thinking about. They had no pre-snap plan. Right. So they would get to the line of scrimmage. They would call. So the Patriots, I don't know if it's still this way because who the heck knows what terminology they were using last year. For the most part, the Patriots' protections are numbers in the 70s. Okay, so they'll get to the line of scrimmage and they'll say, uh, you know, 74 Haas X follow, right? Like that's a play call. 74 is the protection. Okay, so 74 could, uh, you know, it could be anything, right? But that's a protection, five-man protection, uh, five-man plus the back, six-man protection, whatever. It could be anything. So they would get to the line of scrimmage. They would call that play in the huddle, and that would be the protection for the play, and they wouldn't adjust. They wouldn't change it, right? They wouldn't get to the line of scrimmage and say, well, something's going on over here. Uh, This guy's giving me a blitz tell. This guy is, you know, capped, which means that there's a defender behind him, which meant usually means that there might be pressure coming from that area of the field they're they're they wouldn't adjust right and they would just run the play the way that it was called in the huddle and having a coach that's going to say okay this is what we're doing out of this play if it's too high this is what we're doing if it's post safety this is what we're doing if it's if it's blitz zero like those are the types of conversations you have to have as an offense right, right. especially for it to run well against blitz and if you don't have those types of conversations, you don't have everybody on the same page, and you don't have that understanding as an offense, then that's what happens in what we saw all last year, which is Mac running for his life, right. no receiver anywhere near him to try to throw the fo- football to, and usually a sack, right? And now I think that they have a coach that's going to get in there and say, here's a cut-up of us running this play against six different defensive looks. Right, And this yeah. is what we're going to do against all these different defensive looks. That's going to be refreshing for those guys, that they have that type of 
just that that type of knowledge like yeah. that someone that has that ability that type of preparation that, that foresight yeah that preparation so i'm really uh, excited about it from a mental standpoint i think it's just going to be so much cleaner uh to have everybody on the same page to have answers to the test like you hear guys uh, like orlovsky talks about this a lot with the patriots offense on espn what answers does a quarterback have to what the defense is showing him what tools are at his disposal to then say right something you know they're they're showing pressure over here i need to slide the protection i need to make a new mic point i need to tell this guy over here that he's hot if these two guys come if this guy comes over here then that guy's the hot like i does he have that kind of just bread like does he have that right he should now he should now And, and i think that that alone uh, is really going to help this offense a ton. All right, let's take some of these calls, and uh, then uh, we'll get into kind of spinning this forward as well. Christian, thanks for hanging on. Sorry to keep you on hold for so long. No, man. You know, I love the deep dive that you guys do on, on this show as opposed to just regular, uh, you know, Patriots un- unfiltered. Um, Thank you. Question, uh, uh, yeah, hey, man. A question for you guys. Um, what year was Bill O'Brien coordinator for the Patriots that they won a Super Bowl? That they won a Super Bowl? Yeah. He's saying that Bill O'Brien didn't win a Super Bowl, so we're too excited. That's true. He didn't win a Super Bowl. Right. So, second second thing, I kind of find it hard to believe when you guys say, like, oh, we'll finally have a a coach that will, uh, you know, shout out the priest and our protectors. To me, it, it seems unfathomable that Bill wouldn't have, again, having ultimate oversight, saying something like, oh, do we have any priest snap?" Um, protection options. I, to me, it, it would seem weird that out of everything that 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 Bill over overlooks and oversees, he wouldn't have asked that very fundamental, simple question, and they wouldn't have addressed that. So I don't know that they didn't have those things in place. It possibly the execution of it, or Mac Jones's uh, sort of you know recognition recognition that he needed to change to adjust the pre snap. That might be more more in order that it just wasn't existent. Now we have someone that can do it. And then lastly. I really do see Tequan Thornton, if Bill O'Brien really can put his imprint on it, developing into like a long, like a, like a Randy Moss threat. He has faster speed than, than Randy, so being that quick kill you by a thousand cuts offense than putting something over the top seems really, really, really like something that we should be able to implement. Um, uh, I'll take it off air. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely, thanks for the call, Christian. I definitely think that uh, Tyquan is much better suited. They're all better suited yeah. in this offense than, than before. I, can we just talk about how that call started with Bill O'Brien's not a good hire because he didn't win a Super Bowl, but he's going to turn Tyquan Thornton into Randy Moss? That's true. I mean, that's that was a role. That's, that's a real quick on the right Super Bowl thing. Yeah, he, he was the offense coordinator, not the head coach. That 2011 offense, one of the best was Patriots a wagon. Of all time. Yeah, the defense was not any of those years. We had that defense was old. Right. You know, they were losing pieces left and right. They didn't have what that number one corner. It's that window after Asante Samuel left before they got a keep to leave where they were trying to mix and match with all these like, you know, late round cast off corners. I isn't Julian Edelman playing corner. Julian Edelman played corner one of those yeah. years. But I'm talking about when you had guys like like Antoine Molden out there. Right. right? Sergio Brown. I don't put them not winning a Super Bowl in that era on O'Brien. If they had won a Super Bowl in that era, O'Brien like takes it to another level. Yeah, you know, would, th- that offense yeah. was excellent. I it's and to this day, it's a, it's it's a um what's it called? The the argument's just weird because he was in charge of the offense and the offense was excellent. It was Super Bowl caliber. Right. Uh to this day, 
I will go to the grave saying that they win the Super Bowl in 2011 if Gronk is 100%. Yeah. They win. I, I mean, they if beat anything. The Giants. I'm sorry. He was playing on a high ankle sprain two weeks out from suffering a high ankle sprain in the AFC Championship game, and he could barely move. So he went from the most dominant player in football that year to like a shell of himself because of the injury. I still think they win that game if Gronk is 100%. But that's that they point. that they got to the Super Bowl with that defense is actually a testament to Bill yeah, O'Brien. Yeah, at the time, I don't know if it still is, but at the time, that was statistically the worst defense to ever be in a Super Bowl. Yeah. They were 32nd in the league, I think, in total yards allowed. So they they were historically bad on, on defense for that time period. I think it, right now we have defenses that give up you know six thousand yards. Games so, change, yeah. But yes. Anyways, um, the other thing that he said about the protections, I'm not saying that they didn't try to implement those types of things. I will say I know for a hundred percent fact that they watered down the protection system, a hundred percent. So it was the adjustments were. I can't speak 100% to the adjustments at the line of scrimmage, but I know for a fact that they tried to strip the protection system of some of the things I was talking about, like the dual yeah. reads. So that 110% happened. Uh, there were guys in that locker room, I know others have reported about this, like Greg Bedard and things like that on your station, Alex, that felt like if they had had the old protection system that they would have picked up more of the blitzes that they didn't this year, right, in, yeah. in some of the adjustments. The other thing that I would say – is that it's not – he mentioned execution. Coaching isn't just about drawing the X's and O's up on the whiteboard. It's also teaching it Yeah, and, and getting it through to the players and being able to implement uh, the, the types of things that they're trying to do. So no matter where you fall in that category, whether it was strictly execution by the players or the system being watered down, the, the bottom line is, is that the protection was significantly worse than it's ever really been. Right. So, and it wasn't just guys losing one-on-one matchups all the time where they just need better players. They do need some better tackles, but a lot of it was also recognition and pickup, right? And just getting a hat on a hat. So that comes down to plan and pre-snap and coaching, right? That's what that comes down to. So no matter where you put it in the... uh, Yep, we back? Yeah, I think we're good. I think it's just our headphones. Okay. No matter where you put it, in the blame pie like whoever you blame the point is is it wasn't good enough right and o'brien comes in and i think he makes it better that's all all right ben in maryland what's up ben hey guys i'm at school so so i gotta be quick but um i spent all last night you know watching bam the film past film the o'brien coaching clinic and i was so excited to come on here and tell you guys everything i found out but you already touched on most of it but i just want to uh run down my list and you can guys can tell me if i'm correct Sure. Okay. Um, I said Bama has a lot of pre-snap motion and a lot of moving around, which helps confuse defenses, and you guys touched on that. But they also run the same formation. It looks like a lot. But it's different plays each time. So I thought that was unique. Um, lots of empty formation, but it looks like they build the offense around the running back. And I said, could that be another big deal for Stevenson? Uh, you know, you re-sign Harris. I don't know. And then the Patriots ran a lot of LPOs. But there was no, nothing with the LPOs. It was like there's no slants, there's no schemes with Johnny Smith. So I was just wondering if that would change this year. Yeah, yeah, good job, Ben. And I absolutely love that calling from school. Calling during school, that, yeah. That's such a you and I move got right, the right there. Kids got the right idea. So when I was in college, and I, I look, I my, I my parents listen to the show sometimes, and I, I think my dad's going to kill me for saying this, but when I was in college, I used to watch game film during 
class. Yeah. I had a tablet, and I'd go and I'd come with the tablet and had Game Pass downloaded on the tablet, and I would just watch. You know, people ask me like, "How did I I learn like how the X's and O's?" Yeah. I I would watch all thirteen games from the whole week in college and I would just watch it and over and over and over again. And although I didn't know necessarily what I know now, it, it helped the game slow down. You just absorb it. Yeah. Right. And it, it, the game slowed down and got in, it wasn't moving as quickly anymore for me after a while. And that's when I really was able to start to, to break it all down. So I love that. That that's a total us move is to, to be at school and, and watching yeah, no, Patriots and Alabama tape instead of doing what you're supposed to be doing. I then. used to, um, me and me and a buddy of mine, we had a couple classes together. Um, we would we we had a notebook. We'd pass back and forth, and or we had two, right? So I would draw like an offensive play, like I'd design one, yeah. And then he'd design a defensive play. It's like during yeah. class, yeah. And then we'd pass them back and forth, being like, all right, who's design one? And then you know I'd switch and I'd be the defense and stuff like that. So yeah, the reason we both went to Ithaca. Look, stay disclosure. in school, stay in school, but stay in school. We got degrees. It was important. All right, we both went to Ithaca, but the reason why my parents were really big on sending me to a smaller school is because they knew I would F off during class if I was in one of those big like lecture halls and still I somehow figured out oh, how yeah. to F off. In oh class. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways. So there's one thing that he mentioned. Uh, one of the first things that he mentioned that I, we hadn't fully touched on. And of course we went on that whole spiel and now I forget what it right, was. We were just patting ourselves on the back for uh, being football fans. It was a good point too. Oh yeah. That, that they'll run similar looks yes. or similar yes. formations with all these different looks. Yes. That's going back to uh uh era Perkins. Yeah. That's, which is like the core of the Patriots offense. Yeah. Great point. So I posted something on Twitter it was a really good point. uh last week about Alabama running three different plays out of the same look or the same formation. They used the same motion yeah. and they ran the same exact formation and the play played out three separate ways. This was the one with Oots, right? With Oots, yeah. my guy. Oots. The other thing that I saw them do a ton, which I, I just can't tell you, I just didn't see a ton of from the Patriots last year. Saw it a lot in 21 and a lot in general, obviously with Brady, is they would run the same play out of different formation that's the same play but they get to the same and they'd hit it like six different ways yeah the Patriots didn't do that right like the Patriots last year if they ran dagger they hit dagger one way like it was right right now with O'Brien and and with uh Bryce Young last year at Alabama like they you can watch them run like like let's take mesh right the cross underneath crossers with either the the dig or a wheel or something and they would hit it all three ways they had hit it to all three different receivers. Like that type of diversity, but also that's the simplicity of it. The fact that it's still the same play, but we can hit it three different ways. That is the type of stuff that puts defenses in absolute blenders, right? Like, right. they okay, here comes the motion. And last time they motioned, they threw a screen to the receiver. This time they motioned and they threw a fake screen, right? They right. bluff screen and then they run the guys up the field. Like that type of stuff is so makes it so much harder to defend. And I think from a play calling perspective too, uh, one of the biggest things that we always griped on with Patricia uh, was that there was no sequencing to the plays, right? Like the last play was not married up to the play before. And it was not married up to a play they ran in the first quarter. Like they were just, grabbing plays out of a hat right like right okay this play we're first down we're gonna run this then second down we're gonna forget about that we're gonna run this right and like right. they just were all over the place 
O'Brien's offense, it, it builds up to stuff. It makes sense. It connects, right? right? Where they ran this play in the first quarter. Now it's fourth quarter tie game against Tennessee. They need a drive. We're going to run this play that looks like the play we ran in the first quarter, but it's actually something different, right? And right. those are the types of things that I think an experienced and uh, not just – experienced offensive coach but an experienced play caller and that was why it was so important to me when they made this hire that they got somebody that had called plays before because I think you really see the difference in that type of thing that type of foresight to be able to steal something you ran in the first quarter then run it again in the fourth quarter but have it be different like those are the types of things that you get from calling plays in NFL and college games over long periods of time like you don't just wake up with that skill and I think we saw that last year come to fruition. I think a lot of coaches struggle with that in early on in their play calling. I think it's something that Ken Dorsey in Buffalo has struggled with in his first season as the play caller is having everything marry up together. It's a, it's a good point by Ben. I'm glad he, he brought yeah. that up. Yeah. All right. John and Newton. What's up, John? John, you there? Going once, John. All right. You can call back in, John, and we'll, we'll get you on the air. Aaron, what's going on? Hey, uh, how you guys doing? Hey, good. All right, so um, <clears throat> what I'm looking forward to, I'm not going to lie, I'm not big on the Bill O'Brien thing, but I am warming up to it. I'm just happy that we actually have an offensive coordinator. Um, but I did see the difference just this year in Max. Um, like, the more confident he felt in a play, or more confident he felt, I seen him get the ball out better you know what i mean he just his overall play was dependent to me in my eyes at least on his comfortability and i feel like bill o'brien's gonna bring him a lot more comfort as far as like you guys said elaborating on him getting the play and be like okay the defense isn't gonna tee up on it because it's a little bit different you know what i mean i just feel like he's gonna be a lot more comfortable yeah 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 thanks for the call and i think that's probably the biggest like big picture thing, right? right. I, we get it into all the all the nitty gritty as we do, but the biggest big picture thing is the comfort of the quarterback and just the comfort of everybody on offense to really understand like this is what we're doing here, right? Right. And this is what we're doing. If this the defense does this, this is what we're doing, right? Like that sort of thing. I think is really important. All right, Eldred, give it to me, Eldred. What's your take? Hey, Alex. Hey, Evan. Hey. How you doing? Good. Uh, question. Um, I'm glad Bill did, Bill O'Brien did come back. But my question is, uh, with the offense in the flux last year, how long do you think it would take to see a turnaround? I know we're expecting right off the bat, you know, even with pre preseason and OTAs and all that. So realistically, when do you expect to see a turnaround? Yeah, it's a good question, Aldrin. Thanks for the call. I think that the there will be some immediacy to – the functionality of the offense, yeah. right? Like, I think the offense is going to look cleaner right off the bat. The personnel stuff that we've discussed, I think, is a bigger question in terms of how good this could actually be. And that's what I wrote today when I, I wrote my big piece on on this. The floor of the offense is now significantly higher. Right. You know that you're going to have a a functional, professional baseline. The question is, is how high is that ceiling? And that gets more into, I would say, the personnel decisions that they make in the offseason. Right. You know, it's it's too early to say, hey, how you know how much is this going to improve the offense? We don't know what the offense is going to look like. Are they going to have a guy like Jerry Judy? Are they going to have Zay Flowers? What are they doing at tackle? Right. Right. You know, 
how how much can they fix max mechanics of what was broken in 2022 i know hiring bill o'brien feels like the end of a process for a lot of people and in a sense it is it's also the beginning of a process because now like he doesn't walk in snap his fingers and everything's fixed like there's a lot of work to do and that's not a bill o'brien thing whoever got the job is gonna have to do a lot of work right you know how much can they get it done this is why there's those reports that adrian clem's gonna have a second interview getting a real offensive line coach in here you hopefully get a more cohesive group up front that's gonna go a long way that's i'm not saying bill o'brien can't or won't play a part in that but bill o'brien's not doing everything he's gonna delegate things you got to figure out who's gonna be there and then of course who are the players what are they gonna build this thing around we talked a lot about who's gonna be in the slot and things like that uh this is a massive step in the right direction, but we're hardly done with the whole conversation about how do the Patriots fix their offense. This is probably the biggest box that they had to check, but well, I mean, this, it's only box one. This right? one had to be first. Right. Now, so, okay, hiring assistant coaches and, like, an offensive line coach probably has to be second, but the order of operations is kind of open from here. Yeah. You're going to draft a tackle, you're going to sign a tackle, you're going to draft a receiver, you're going to trade for a receiver. Right, that sort of thing. You know, pay Jacoby Myers. That's all you can go in any number of different directions. But the first thing had to be you had to bring in the guy with the vision of what this whole thing's going to look like. And nothing could happen. Really, not even some of the defensive stuff. I don't think any of it could happen until they brought in the offensive coordinator. Yeah. So this is now, now we're off. Here we go. Let's. Yeah. We're off and running on the offseason. And now we That's have a real offseason, right? Like where we have a real offensive coordinator and a real setup well, on defense. So and we here's can actually my, get into the players. Here's my other take on that. When you say a real offseason, like a Patriots offseason, I've yeah. thrown out a lot of things on this show, on other shows, and people are like, well, how realistic is that? And Chris Gasper was on Felger and Maz last Friday. And he said some stuff. He did say some stuff, but at, the, said some stuff. at the end of that conversation, he, did, he said something really interesting that sort of sparked my my mind. Felger asked him, you know, is any of this you're talking about realistic? Or is this them, he said. Is any of what you're talking about them? Yeah. To, I'm talking about, like, the Patriots, the typical Patriots. And Gasper said, well, is any of this in terms of what they've done so far this offseason? And the statement, you know, not traditionally something they would do. I think the kind of candidates they were looking at for the offensive coordinator job a bit out of the picture, the whole handling of the Gerard Mayo situation – and it reminded me, Evan, of when we first started doing our first podcast. Yeah. And around the time we started, it was around this time of year, there were those reports from like Tom Curran and Mike Reese, uncharacteristically aggressive. Do you remember that? I hammered that home yes. that and, spring. And that's exactly what happened. So we haven't gotten like an uncharacteristically aggressive report yet, but I did from the way they've operated so far, and if you remember early that offseason – Bill did an interview with, I think it was Shaughnessy. Yeah. That was like, Bill's talking to Shaughnessy? Like, in the offseason, what, what is this? And it kind of kicked that whole thing off, but, like, it set the tone that this is going to be different. I am getting some uncharacteristically aggressive well, they vibes. Need to be, right? Right, and they do. And, look, when they, the 2021 offseason, you can nitpick here and there, and for every Matthew Judon, there's an El Snaglor, right? But They made, made them a better football team. I, overall, that offseason was a net positive. Yeah. They are starting where they started from that year, and this is coming off the Cam Newton season. They are starting from a much higher point 
right, right now. If they were to have a comparable offseason, I don't mean the same players, but or the, the same, same money. I don't the, think they're going to throw money around like but that. But the same aggressiveness. Well, they do. They are going to have like top ten cap space in the league. Yeah, no, I'm, but right, it, that was like three hundred million dollars spent in free agency. I don't think we're going there. But relatively. It, the circumstances were different financially right. coming off the pandemic. I'm saying relatively speaking to the yeah. rest of the league. If they have another offseason like that, they're in really good shape. Yeah. You know, they're in really good shape. So I just, I don't know. I'm throwing it out there. I, I have sort of that same, we don't have the report, but don't don't some of the vibes feel similar to it the does. uncharacteristically aggressive offseason? Although it, you're probably dreading having to hear me say that 20 times yeah. a show for the I, next I two love months. the Bill O'Brien hire. I just gushed about it for an hour. So I'm yeah. certainly not against the Bill O'Brien hire by any means. But th- them bringing back Bill O'Brien it feels like vintage them, right? Like, to, to, so I, I think that there but is. But the way in which they did it was doesn't. a little different. Yeah. It's a little different. All right. Uh, Spinning it forward now a little bit on the coaching staff. Uh, you mentioned Adrian Clem's name. Uh, there are reports yep. out there that Adrian Clem is coming back for a second interview, and that seemingly is to have a top assistant role on Bill O'Brien's staff, right? O'Brien's the offensive coordinator. We know that. So Adrian Clem, maybe offensive line coach, which is probably the second biggest spot on your coaching staff besides coordinator. Yep. And then I would also mention run game coordinator as a possibility that's a title he has currently at Oregon and one of the things that I look at Oregon had a good run game this year I look at with O'Brien that I'm not saying he can't do it I just like I said earlier about something else I can't remember uh under center I'm not saying that he can't do these things but since he went to Houston he has had a mobile quarterback he's had Deshaun Watson and he's had Bryce Young so he's going back into stationary quarterback world yeah and at alabama it is really difficult to find a run without an option attached for the quarterback right when you have bryce right. young you're always going to try to use his legs as an influence did you watch like after he got hurt it felt like they were hesitant to run him maybe he was hesitant so, to run the options were there i didn't every, watch it as closely. like 99 percent of their runs at least had him holding the backside with the threat of him keeping the football okay. whether he actually kept it was probably few and far between but just having that backside pull of you know i can't crash down because bryce young could take off over the mac jones is you're crashing down right you're not worried about that so how are they going to scheme it up in the run game i think is interesting i don't think o'brien is really a big run game guy quite frankly like i i i the 2011 Patriots offense was, they were like, they didn't run the ball. Yeah. They were past like 70. That was an arena. Time, that like. was an arena offense. Right. So they, they don't, I don't know how much of it he really emphasizes, but I think with this quarterback, uh, with the strengths that they have in the interior of the line with Ramondre Stevenson coming back, like, I, I, this team wants to run the ball a little bit. And so I wonder if a guy like Clem comes in, O-line coach slash run game coordinator, maybe he doesn't get the run game coordinator title at first, but he's a big part of the run game. I right. think that's going to be a big thing. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on Clem? I, I know a lot of people aren't, really that familiar with him and they've heard some horror stories about him from pittsburgh which aren't great uh to be fair but i i don't know how much we want to hold that against them yeah i my big thing i like with him at first off like i think he would contribute in the running game you need a real offensive line coach their first round pick really does need to be an offensive tackle and you can't have another year like 2019 where you invest a first round pick in a player and then don't have a real position coach. Yeah. For You're that talking player. about Harry and, and Joe Judge. And Joe Judge. Yeah. yeah. I think I might have said Nick Casario last week. I yeah. apologize for that. But sorry, um, Nick. 
Sorry, Nick. Yeah, did, not his fault. Um, oh. I uh, yeah okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, I think so. I think Clem contributes there. So that's a big one. The other big box for me, and this could be Clem. This could be we haven't heard anything more about Jefferson and McCardell, but bringing a guy like that as a passing game coordinator, a big part of the reason the Patriots are in this spot, right, is when they went from Josh McDaniels, there was no smooth transition. There was no obvious guy. They maintained Nick Cayley. They maybe had a chance to have a smooth transition, but they didn't. Yeah. And obviously now there's no smooth transition. Right. If you have a guy like Adrian Clem, who is with Bill O'Brien regularly, right, is involved in the in the design of the offense, is involved in call, the calling of the plays, when Bill O'Brien leaves, and I think Bill O'Brien's here to reset his stock and go get a head coaching job, when Bill O'Brien leaves... You have the next guy. Like, it won't be a question. Right. It will be, all right, Adrian Clem's bit. Because run game coordinator, pass game coordinator, essentially what that means, this is dumbing it down a little bit, but essentially what that means is assistant offensive coordinator. Yeah. Right? There's no, all right, well, we're going to have to do the interview process, and what about this guy? What about that guy? Nope. Adrian Clem, you're up. Right. And I think having that smooth transition, especially if Mac is still the quarterback, you're already on three OCs in three years. I'm not saying Bill O'Brien's going to be one and done, but that kind of continuity for everybody would be nice so that there's the run game element of it and I like Clem for that Oregon ran the ball I also like that he was in an environment that reinvigorated a quarterback everybody thought was done yeah in Bo Nix I mean Bo Nix he should have never transferred from Auburn and what I mean by that is he his dad played there his dad won a national championship there he was the one of the highest recruits they'd ever gotten he was supposed to be Auburn's success story and for a guy like that, with that background, with that storyline to transfer, is just a suggestion of a massive failure. Now, that's on multiple people's parts, but people were writing him off. He goes to Oregon, and I'm not saying Adrian Clem is the reason that he turned it around, and, and Bo Nix was a Heisman finalist this year, but he was in a room. He was with coaches. He kind of yeah. went through that process of reinvigorating the quarterback. It's not exactly— I mean, he's the associate head coach, right? He was O-line right. associate head coach and run game coordinator. It's not quite apples to apples— but it's not all right, it's not apples to oranges. It's like Granny Smith apples to like golden delicious apples, right? There is some carryover there. So there's there's a there's a lot to like there with Clem. There is the stuff from Pittsburgh. I, I don't I don't know about like I wasn't in the room. I don't know. Right. I'm not gonna speak on it. But right. between you need a real offensive line coach to improve the offensive line, you have a clear next guy if Bill O'Brien leaves, and you get a guy who indirectly has kind of been a part of a big-time quarterback success story, yeah, checks a bunch of boxes for me. The biggest thing to me is the offensive line coach part of it because yeah but you covered all that so well there's a lot of the protection stuff that I went over but it's also I would say just last year they had a lot of trouble just on game day with delegation of what who's doing what remember the beginning of the year Patricia was trying to pull double duty and was trying to coach the offensive line and call plays and coach up Mac and do all this and they bring Billy Yates from upstairs downstairs and he's a little bit more involved on the sideline I know wasn't David Andrews doing it at one point so I know for a fact that David Andrews and James Ferentz both had to pitch in yeah a lot on in terms of coaching up the line uh, you know had the tablet in the middle of the huddle on the bench and like there's so many NFL films cuts of Dante like in the middle of the offensive line like screaming out crap yeah. at them like you know if 
they did this last time and they're gonna like this type of stuff right Right. and like they they just didn't have that and i want one offensive line coach i want billy with the quarterback i want the offensive line coach with the offensive line and i want adrian clem or whoever it ends up being it certainly looks like it's going to be adrian clem i want adrian clem working with cole strange working with the first round tackle yeah i mean player development's a huge part of this development is huge on it as well you're going to use probably back-to-back first-round picks on offensive linemen. You should have a good offensive line coach. It felt like last year that they were playing a game of telephone where things had to go through so many different sets of eyes and ears that by the time it actually got out onto the field who the heck knows what the messaging was right like was it you know what Matt Patricia told us or was it what Billy Yates told us or was it you know David Andrews telling us or whatever now you have one guy doing this you have one guy doing that and I think this speaks to just in general as well the the coaching staff I do think that we're going to get actual titles for these guys right oh yeah I think we're going to have concrete Bill O'Brien's the offensive coordinator, Clem's on offensive line, and like it's going to be very crystal clear what everybody's doing. Yeah. And I think that that's important not it's not it, it, you know I don't care about us. Like I, I don't care that we don't necessarily know. What's important is is that the players well, have that so clear message. This is like the defense in 2021, right? Where we yeah. didn't know the like how we didn't know what the corporate flow chart looked like. But it was pretty clear that inside the building they did. And I yeah. stress this all the time. Just because we don't know, as long as they know, and, and they being the players and the everybody, right? 100%. Players and the coaching staff, as long as they know, yeah, it's annoying that we don't know, but it doesn't make them any worse of a team, right? And with the defensive staff, there was a lot of, well, you know, there's no defined titles. But I always kind of defended it. Well, it seems like they know within the building. And that's good enough for me. Yeah. And then with the offense this year, I kind of started out on that. Well, look how it worked on the defense, and they clearly know in the building. That that got away from them quick. I don't think there was a clear line of, of command by the end of the year. And, and, yeah, like you're saying, I think just clarifying that this year would be big. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap it up on the Shrine Bowl. I'll give you, I'll give you 15, t- 10, 15 minutes right. here, Alex, to, to get your Shrine Bowl takes out before we head to Vegas bright and early tomorrow morning. Yep. You gonna sleep here? I might sleep here. No, I'm just kidding. I would. They love no, me. Bright and early tomorrow morning. Uh, the, Alex and I will be out on the flight to Vegas uh, for the Shrine Bowl. Very excited to to not only uh, go see the prospects, go see the coaching staff, just the whole thing. I've never been to the Senior Bowl, the Shrine Bowl. I've never been yeah. to one of these showcases before. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what kind of stuff we get out of it. Who are some of the guys that you're looking for? We talked so much about the coaching staff yeah. already. I think we got all that out. Uh, is there anybody in particular uh, besides Zay Flowers, who I think yeah. we all know is the, I would say probably the consensus top guy that has committed to playing in the Shrine Bowl, uh, is Zay Flowers? It's it's him and uh, um, uh, uh, Travius Hodges Tomlinson. Yeah, the top yeah TCU corner. So, yeah. so I'll get to him in a bit. Let's start with the wide receivers, though. Uh, you talk about you know that big slot maybe replacing Jacoby Myers. Jake Bobo from UCLA, local kid from a Concord. Bobo. A Bobo. Yeah, his name's going to do great here. Yeah. 6'5", 215, lined up. Can you imagine your shows if they draft a guy named Bobo? I know. Uh. I, I know. Lined up, uh, uh, in line, slot, a little bit on the boundary. I he like He's not quite as big as LJ Humphrey, and he's a little bit more athletic, but like you put him in that role with some more wide receiver type responsibilities. Like, I don't know that it's the speed you're looking for in the slot, but, like, I watch him, and there's a lot of Jacoby Myers yeah. in his game, but he's a bit more physically imposing. Okay. Um, 
Another receiver I like, and this is a guy that I'm just personally a fan of, Bryce Ford Wheaton from West Virginia. Yeah. Balled out against Pitt in the backyard. Like, this guy shows up in big games. 6'3", 224, excellent, excellent 50-50 receiver. Like, he wins every jump ball. He doesn't do much more than that. Like, this is a late project guy. But the other thing he does, he is an excellent gunner in punt coverage. Twice this year, he timed up like his rush yeah, where he hit the returner as the guy was fielding the ball and forced a fumble. He is excellent covering punts. Drafting him in the second round now. Well, he's a projected seventh round pick. Uh, I'll give you second round. Give you a couple running backs. They like production at the position. Guys have proven they can produce in college. Yeah. Mohamed Ibrahim from Minnesota, Big third in the nation producer, last yeah. year in rushing, 1,600 yards. And I'll, I'll give you one more. This is a really interesting one. I was surprised to see his name on the list. Travis Dye from USC. I don't know how much you watched him. He's a bigger back. No, he's not. He's a. That is a bigger back. No, he's a three down guy, like a true three down okay. back. He was one of the best pass blocking running backs in college oh. football this year. There we go. He was supposed to be like a because there's a lot of big backs on this on this right. No, this is a pass catching back. Okay. He was supposed to be like a late day two, early day three pick, and then he ha- suffered a knee injury in November that ended his season, and we don't know exactly what it was. Right. Uh, um. That's what these things are for. Right. They they came out and said it was season-ending but not career-altering. So I don't know if he's going to be on the field, but you watch him. He's a Patriots back. The fact that they're going to get to talk to him is big. Yeah. Tight ends. Schoenmaker. 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 I think the— Schoenmaker. Whatever. I don't know. You might be right. I don't know. You you still have Hunter Henry and Jonathan Smith under contract for a year. Take a tight end early on day three. Let him develop behind those guys. Red shirt. Get going on in year two. This kid, 6'6", 250, growing as a run blocker, capable receiver, supposed to go early on day three, easy. And then if the fullback comes back, if the fullback comes back, Jack Coletto won the uh, Paul Hornig Award this year. That's Marcus Jones won the Paul Marcus Hornig. Jones, Lynn Bowden, and Jabril Peppers have all won it. Uh, he also plays linebacker. Second round. He's supposed to go late. And then a, a John U. Smith type of player, Princeton Fant. You've watched Tennessee, actually. They're yeah. fullback tight end hybrid. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've seen, if you noticed him, Princeton bit. Fant. He'll be yeah. there. Uh, a John U. Smith type. A tackle. Most of the top tackles in this class, they know where they're going. They're not yeah. doing any of the all star games. Jackson Kirkland's really interesting. I know. Though, He's Washington. on my list. Is he? So yeah. he was an all Pac 12 left tackle in 2021. Was supposed to come out in last year's draft. Hurt his ankle. Was like, well, I'm not going to be able to do pro days or anything. Went back got moved to guard in the second game because they didn't have a guard and they had to move him inside. Played an excellent season at guard, at left guard. And now he's back in the draft and is he a tackle? Is he a guard? You know, what's his role? Clearly a team player. It's going to be really interesting to see how they use him this year. Yeah, Jackson Kirtland is a guy that I... I thought coming out in 2021, if he had came out, yeah. he was going to be a top 100 guy. Yeah, I thought he was like maybe a fringe first-round pick. Yeah, so he's he's got a lot of talent. Uh, the other tackle that I had written down— Dalton uh, Wagner from uh, Arkansas. Darlton, I yep. I knew him as well. Uh, Carter Warren from Pittsburgh. Have you seen him play? I'm and I'm nor I have a couple more pit guys here, but I'm not as familiar with him. No, Mahler, Mahler, like, like okay. a typical right tackle, right tackle, yep. Patriot Mahler, big dude. Okay, uh, really blows people off the line of scrimmage. Like you put. A guy like Carter Warren, you know, assuming he develops, I'm not sitting right. here saying he's, you know, John Hanna, uh, but Carter Warren next to Mike on Wenu, like that's a bulldozing side of yeah. the line, right? That that's and that's what when it was Trent Brown on Wenu or Cannon and Shaq Mason, yeah. like they like that right side to be sturdy. Um, 
I think he can be a guy like that. All right, I'm going to give you one interior lineman. I'm going to give you an interior I like lineman. The, as, oh, offense or defense? Offense. Oh, okay. I was ready to switch to defense. Okay. Ricky Stormberg from Arkansas. Okay. They do like Arkansas. He's a he's a center, yep. I think, at, at the next level. And David Andrews can be back next year. Yeah. But David Andrews is getting up there. He is. Now, they really like Cody Russi in the building. Yeah. They really do. So maybe they think Cody Russi is going to be that guy. But that's a really important position from all sorts of aspects, right? Knowledge, all that type of stuff. And we do have to start thinking about David Andrews and and the future at that position. I hate – I think Stromberg is going to be like a fourth or a fifth round pick. It might be a little high for them Can he play guard too or no? Probably because they do need depth at guards. So if you bring yeah. him in as a backup guard in like a long term center in the fourth round, I could see that. Probably, I think that's justifiable. Yeah, and the uh, other thing I'd mention, we mentioned uh, switching over to defense. Yeah, there's some really good long corners that are gonna like right, we're gonna like, get lay, there. We're like, gonna get there. Long guy in, yeah. in this draft in general. Yeah, like there's a ton of corners in this draft. I know uh, the guy from your Tomlinson from TCU is not this, but no. but there's some really like six one, six two lanky corners in this draft yeah. to play on the boundary, and there's a couple that's going to be at the shrine. And by the way, everybody I've mentioned so far, and I don't know about the the uh, the center you just said from Arkansas, but everybody I've mentioned so far is on the West team, is on the Patriots. Team. Yeah, a couple of these guys are on on East. The other guy just on offense, uh, At a- 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 Perry is going to be At Perry, yeah, from Wake Forest. He's on the East team. Another one of those big receivers. Uh, Carter Warren's on East, but okay. uh, the other guys I mentioned are, are on uh, the Patriots. All right, I'm going to give you another pit guy. Habakkuk Baldonado from Pittsburgh. Of course. Defensive end, uh, had a career year in 2021. He had a team high, I think it was, yeah, it was 12 sacks. And then last year, you could tell like he was focused on developing his game as a run defender. Like He has his big year as a pass rusher. He's 6'5", 260. So he's a little smaller, but he kind of reminds me of Dietrich Wise watching him, where he's just like a good, technically sound, handles his responsibilities football player. He's supposed to go in the same range of the draft. The other interesting thing, and they like guys like this, I like guys like this, he didn't start playing football until he was in high school. He's from Italy. And he's still like, you can tell, he's still learning the game. So there's a lot of room to grow there. So I like him. Um, There's another guy, Derek Parrish from Houston, team captain, Played football, uh, played fullback, defensive end, and linebacker. Yeah, he, he was a finalist for the Horning Award. He's actually listed on the roster as a fullback slash defensive yeah. end. Like, they don't even know what he's going to play at the Shrine And he'll ball. play some linebacker, too. I yeah. put him with the defensive ends because that's mostly what he played yeah. last year. But yeah. um, linebackers, this is kind of where the guys are on the other side. Uh, Robert Beal from Georgia is a really interesting one to me because they've targeted in the past guys who were high-ranked high school recruits who maybe didn't pan out. Beal's supposed to be this elite pass rusher, goes to Georgia as a five-star, and just never really got beyond a rotational role. He's supposed to go on day it's three. A tough defense to crack. Right. Could be an interesting guy to invest in. And then we talk about the Horning Award. How about the Cliff Harris Award? The best non-D1 player in the country. The last two winners being Kyle Duggar and then Sam Roberts. This How many second-round picks do they have? This Well, this guy's <laughs> supposed to go later on day three. This, this I kid, know he's supposed to go later okay, on day fair. three, Alex. Uh, Caleb Murphy from Ferris State, he had 25 and a half sacks in 15 games last year. So Sam Roberts participated in the Shrine Bowl yeah. last year, won the – what was the Cliff – Cliff Harris. Cliff Harris Award, yeah. and then was drafted by the Patriots in the sixth round. So there, there's a lot of pedigree there. I'm sorry, Evan. I, I know you're big school and all that. I don't care what level you're playing at. 25 and a half sacks in 15 games is impressive. That's a lot. I'm not saying take the kid in the first round, but that stands out. 
All right. Need a big corner? Yes. Here's the two I have. On the West team from Louisiana Tech, Miles Brooks. Yeah, he's on my list. 6'2", 198. Feisty. Very productive. Now, he played two Power 5 games last year. He was excellent against Missouri and then kind of got eaten up by Clemson. So, against some of this Power 5 talent, it's going to be very interesting to see how he does. He's a projected day three pick. And a guy who's kind of come up out of nowhere, Lance Boykin from Coastal. Yeah. 6'3", 200, like great athlete. I think he's a track guy. He's projected to go on draft right now, but it's it's that Tyreek Woolen thing where if he's that big and that athletic, just get him in the building and figure it out. So what are your what are your thoughts on Makai Gardner? Because he's going to be there as well. You got to give me the school. LSU. So yeah, I like. I just he's it, another one of those guys that had a big pedigree coming in, right? And it yeah. went to a big school, all those types of things. I don't think he's been quite as productive as they were hoping he was going to be in, in LSU. But uh, at least what he's listed as, he's listed as six one, six two, another big guy. Uh, I'm interested to see how he looks. I'm interested to see how a lot of these guys look because I think the uh, the corners specifically. Yeah. At these showcases, the one thing that you're guaranteed that you're going to get a bunch of is one-on-ones. Yeah. Right? Like, you're going to see uh, all these types of uh, guys, you know. Um, well, uh, give me your actual thoughts on THT. I don't know if you've watched him. I just don't. I have watched him a little bit. I don't dislike the player. And, and uh, say his full yeah. name for people that. Travis Hodges Tomlinson. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's LT's nephew, for what it's worth. LaDainia Tomlinson. He's just so redundant to Marcus Jones. Yeah. They're the same guy. I just, are they, and his, his, technically he's outstanding, right? Yeah. So this is the thing. He might be as skilled as any corner in this draft, but he's 5'8". Right. And he played exclusively on the boundary at TCU. You're just describing Marcus Jones. But are they going to look at what they did with John Jones and what they did with Marcus Jones this year and say, we, we're going to get a guy for first-round talent in the third or fourth round, and we know we can make these shorter corners work on the boundary because we've done it. That's what I wonder and they're not working Maybe. with him. He's on the East team. So that's interesting. I think it's possible. I just what I worry about with with it is so look, I think that there's and this is an off-season topic yeah. that we can talk about when we have more time. But the short version there are a lot of defenses, defenses that are playing this yeah. weekend. Uh, in championship weekend that do not have a stud number one corner in their right. site. Cincinnati for two years has made it this far in back-to-back years with Eli Apple probably yeah. being their best corner because they mix and match so well on the back end, right? They right. run a lot of zone. They run a lot of exotics. They spin the dial. They blitz. They don't blitz. Like they do a bunch of different things and it allows them to get away with matchups being uh, maybe not exactly in their favor. So the Patriots can do that, and they certainly have the coaching chops to do that. I just don't know if there's a blueprint for a Bill Belichick defense that doesn't have Darrell Revis, Stephon Gilmore, Akib Tlaib, Ty Law. Like, he doesn't right, have that yeah. guy. And so I think it's possible, and maybe they look at it and they say, you know, we could draft, uh, you know, there's a couple of uh, Cam Smith, Witherspoon, right? Like Darren Witherspoon, I think Mel Kuyper had them taking in the first round in his mock today. Like there's a bunch of guys like that in this draft that would be in range at 14 that would make sense for the Patriots in the first round. But it goes back to value, right? And if right. they could get some of these guys that we're going to see this weekend uh, on a value third or fourth uh, round type of pick like they did with the Joneses, like maybe that's where the corner is now. Like maybe yeah. that's where the market is gone. So 
It's possible. I just think he's super redundant uh, to Marcus Jones. And but they haven't been afraid of making redundant picks in the past. No, like, I'm not saying they wouldn't do right. it. I just think that if they're going to draft, I mean, then we have to wrap. Yeah. If they're going to draft a corner in that range, there's so many six foot one, six foot two, bigger boundary. I, I don't disagree. Yeah, that you just go and get one of those guys so you have them. So when you play. When you play the Bengals and you have to and cover T. Higgins, Higgins yeah. you have somebody to cover him. Like it's, like it, I always like to compare, especially with the Patriots. I always like to compare the cornerback room to like a basketball team, right? Yeah. And you have to have a one through five. You have to have yeah. guys that can cover. Uh, you know, a point guard is going to take the point guard. The center is going to take the center, and you have to be able to match up body types. Now there are guys that can do it all right like they're so athletic or they're such good defenders you know Marcus Smart he can cover kind of one through five to a degree but at the end of the day I think that you need to have a Rob Williams and you need to have a Marcus Smart like you can't just have Marcus Smarts so I'll give you real quick I'll give you this guy Trey Dean is listed as a safety but he can play box safety corner yeah six three two oh seven they're gonna be working with him versatile defensive back you talk about the needs in the Belichick defense the deep safety the best deep safety in this game, I think, is on the East team. That's Trevarius Owens from, guess where? Houston. A lot of Houston guys. All right. They so, like that program. It's going to be Power 5 soon. So Alex and I will be doing podcasts every single day from Las Vegas at the Shrine Bowl. They, I don't believe they're going to be live. I think we're going to do them as, yeah. as true podcasts. You can go on Patriots.com or Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google or wherever you get your podcasts and check them out there. But so, like, unfortunately, they won't be on YouTube. If you're somebody who watches yeah. on YouTube and you want to find them, you got to go to Patriots. You got to go to the audio feeds, correct? Yeah. So we will be starting on Saturday doing podcasts from the Shrine Bowl uh, all week long during practice at the Shrine Bowl, and we're really looking forward to it. So we'll talk to you guys on Saturday from Las Vegas. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you then. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Google Play, and everywhere else you listen. Like the show? Please rate and review us. Listener comments and ratings help keep us high in the podcast rankings so new listeners can find us. Be sure to check Patriots.com for more news and more podcasts.